Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, enjoying this beautiful springtime weather. Although the allergies may be acting up, we are so glad that the weather's finally warming up. We're really excited about the fact that we are in spring, and before you know it, summer will be here. Well, we're doing a wonderful study on stewardship today. And uh, I want you to know that when you hear that word stewardship, some of you may be thinking, oh, no, uh, this guy on the radio is going to be talking about money. And uh, he's probably going to tell me that I need to send money into his broadcast. And so let me tell you, I'm not going to talk about money per se today, but we'll talk about the broader subject of stewardship. Before I get going too much here in the message, I wanted to share with you a few good dad jokes, okay? I saw this on a sign. I thought it was pretty funny. It said, I went to the Air and Space Museum. And I went there. There was nothing there. Ah, that's pretty bad. Okay, that's one of those really bad dad jokes. Uh, But it kind of reminds me of the story of Timmy, who, as he went to church on Sunday morning and the offering plate was coming by, uh, he didn't want to put his money into the offering plate. So his mother decided that she would hurriedly do some creative reasoning with him. She says, you know, Timmy, you need to go ahead and give that money because, you know, that money is, uh, is tainted. Hey, she whispered in his ear, and, and so quick, drop that money in the plate because it's tainted. Well, horrified, little Timmy obeyed, and after a few seconds, he whispered, but mommy, why was the money tainted? Was it dirty? Oh, no, dear, she replied. It's not really dirty. It's just that it's it taints yours and it taints mine, she replied. It all belongs to God. Uh, so when we think about stewardship, I think we need to remind ourselves that it all belongs to God. So there's three things that I want to share with you when, uh, when we think about stewardship over today's broadcast and into tomorrow's broadcast. And number one is, is I want you to learn the good habits of stewardship. And uh, those who have habits of a good steward, what do they do? And then I want to talk about the heart of a good steward. And then I want to talk to you lastly about the hope of a good steward. Now, before we go too far, the purpose of this message is really to, to help you look at one or maybe two areas of your life that you know you need to change, uh, that you know that you need to better manage. I guess you could say I'm praying that today's message will challenge you to make a change or two in your life based upon your love for God, and that it will benefit you and your family and your church and your community. And so I'm just asking you to make one or two changes today. Now, I realize most people, they are very reluctant to making change. Now, now, a few people I know are addicted to change. Many leaders are, are kind of addicted to change because they're always bringing people into a new direction. But most people, most of us, I would say, are very slow to change. When my wife and I were first married, uh, we moved several times the first few years of our marriage, and we would move from one apartment to another apartment, all based on where it was located. And if we could save a hundred bucks a month, we'd save a hundred bucks a month uh, because we were very poor. I mean, we were dirt poor, uh, and so we would always try to save money. And because we didn't have a whole lot of things, uh, it didn't take us too long to move. I, I could move in a matter of hours uh, when we first got married because neither Sherry and I uh, had very many things. And then we started having kids, and Tyler was born, and and uh, we lived in this two-bedroom apartment. It was kind of a, a a dingy basement apartment. And then my daughter Anne was born, and at that time, uh, the church where we were serving, they just bought 17 acres of land for their future facilities. And, and this beautiful piece of property came with two buildings on the land. It, it had a two-bedroom trailer, one of those single-wide trailers, and it had a three-bedroom ranch. Now, now, knowing that it would be a few years before the church could afford to build on this property, somebody in the church suggested that we move the church offices 
onto that uh, property, into that trailer, and, and then we moved the Corbett's into the, and their ever-expanding family into the Brick Ranch. And so that became the church parsonage. Well, we all thought this was a great idea. And uh, and we started making plans for the move. And I told Tyler all about it. I said, man, it's going to be so great. Uh, we're, we're going from a, an 800 square foot apartment to about an 1800 square foot house. And uh, he thought the idea was great. So I brought him over there and uh, we got things settled. I got people from the church to help us. And they came in and they were cleaning and painting. And, and we fixed up the basement. And uh, this house had a, had a basement. And we were going to use the basement for Bible studies and for the youth group to meet. And, and uh, so the property had, had lots of room for church activities. And, and so we did youth events and we had a lot of land to run on. So I said to Tyler, I said, this is going to be great because uh, when your, your sister comes along, you'll have to share a bedroom with her. You'll have your own room and, uh, and you could have all this space. And uh, I said, the cool thing is my office will be right across the driveway from you. And, uh, and you can come over and you can talk to me and then I can walk to work every day. And, and, uh, and, and best of all, and I didn't say this to Tyler, but Sherry thought this was a great idea. So best of all, if Tyler needed some father-son time, uh, I'm sure he could send him over to the trailer and, and he could have a visit with me. In fact, the secretary at that time, she knew every time Tyler came for a visit and he always seemed to be able to pluck his mom's last nerve. But every time Tyler would come to visit, the secretary would say, now, now Tyler, what have you done now? He always had some story to tell, and, and then he'd make his way down the little hallway to my office, and we'd have some father-son time. Well, I remember the, the very first night we stayed in the church parsonage. We spent the whole day moving, uh, you know, after weeks of cleaning and painting, and it was finally moving day, and I thought, well, Tyler's going to be so excited about spending his first night in this brand new home to him. And as we moved in, we got everything settled, and, and, and I remember putting Tyler to bed that night, and he said, well, Dad... Uh, it's time to go home. Uh, Dad, I, I want to go back home, back, back to my house. I said to him, Tyler, this is, this is your new home. I don't know, he said, I, I want to go to my house. This is not my house. And, and he starts crying, and I tried to console him the best I could, but he didn't sleep at all, at all that first night because that, in his opinion, was not his home. You know, change is hard. Although he was getting something better, in his mind, this new house was not his home. He couldn't enjoy the blessings of the new place because the pain of change seemed to be greater than the pleasure of something better. Now, thankfully, after a few nights in that new house, Tyler loved it and, and was so happy to have a big yard and lots of fun adventures. And, and I think about stewardship. You know, stewardship is such an unpleasant topic because it requires discipline. It requires change. You know, some Christians will never live up to their full potential because they haven't learned the discipline of biblical stewardship. And I know as you hear this, you're probably thinking again, money, that I need to be better with my money. And you're thinking, and if you're part of my church, you know that we're in the middle of a building program. And you're thinking, well, the church needs my money or the radio broadcast needs my money. And and so that's why this guy is telling me that I need to be a better stewardship. But, you know, stewardship obviously involves money. Now, Jesus talked a lot about money. As a matter of fact, I counted 38 parables that Jesus gave, and 16 out of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and how to handle possessions. You know, you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven or even hell. Uh, So to the relief of some, 
I'm not going to be talking about financial stewardship, and maybe to the disappointment of some, but what I'm talking about today is stewardship of your life. Now, if the issues of money does affect you, uh, you, you know, we have this phrase in the English language, if the shoe fits, wear it, right? Don't you love that phrase? Uh, it goes way back to the 1700s. If the shoe fits, it's an idiom, and it's most commonly used as an expression in the English language, and it simply means if something applies to you, then accept it, wear it. You know, stewardship is a sign of spiritual maturity. It is managing something that does not belong to you. You see, so many times we think of stewardship as, I got to take good care of my stuff. But biblical stewardship is meaning that I'm going to take care of something that really doesn't belong to me. And the implication is that in order to do this, I've got to be a mature person. Now, Paul gives an interesting spin on on this whole matter of stewardship in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to read this and then explain to you why I think this is so relevant to being a mature person is a person who is a good steward. Galatians 4, 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by the Father. Even so... When we were children, we were in bondage on the elements of the world. So Paul is driving home the significance of our salvation. And he's driving home the point that when you were a child, you were under the guardianship of someone else. You could not inherit your inheritance because you weren't old enough. If your parents made the mistake of trying to give you an inheritance before you were old enough, you would have squandered it. You would have wasted it. Somebody would come by and take advantage of it because you're not mature enough to steward it. So here we discovered that stewardship is something that is not expected of children. It's expected of the mature. Uh, It's not expected of those who who are too young to realize they've got to take responsibility for things. And and in the Old Testament, it says, you know, the parents are the ones that should leave an inheritance for the children, not the children for the parents. So the children will receive an inheritance one day when they are able to take care of it. You know, a good steward is one who manages something that doesn't belong to him. He oversees the affairs of another. He manages something, or he's a, a governor of something. Biblical stewardship, in other words, is the word minister. A minister, right? And, and you may be listening to this, well, I'm, a, I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. Well, I want you to know every believer is a minister. Every believer is a steward. Now, to understand this importance of being a good steward, C.S. Lewis in that book, Mere Christianity, the book that I really recommend to you, said this, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your life exclusively to his service, you would not give him anything that was not already in a sense his. When you think about this, everything belongs to God. You may be listening. He says, well, you know, I have messed up too many times. I don't think that the Lord is going to trust me with overseeing anything, or, or I don't think he's going to give me this opportunity because I keep messing up. I'm a fan of Winston Churchill, and uh, he was asked one time, what most prepared him to lead Great Britain through World War II? And, you know, for a period of time, Great Britain virtually stood alone against Nazi Germany. I mean, they were fighting this battle even before we came into World War II as Americans. And, and, and so poor Winston Churchill, I mean, he's having even a hard time you know, convincing his own countrymen that they need to be fighting against Nazi Germany. And, and, and so they're in, in this situation. And, 
And so somebody asked him, what most prepared you to lead Great Britain through World War II? And Churchill's response is a classic, right? He says, what most prepared me was the time that I repeated a a class in grade school. (laughs) The questioner says, you mean you flunked a grade? Churchill said, no, I never flunked in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. And here, uh, Winston Churchill is prepared to take on that mighty, powerful Nazi Germany empire because he understood that he was given a second chance. He was given a second opportunity, and he wanted to take advantage of this opportunity. You know, the habits of good steward are built over time. God is going to give you a second chance here, okay? I'm convinced of it. I wouldn't give you this message if I thought it was over, right? If I thought there was no hope of you getting this right. Hey, let me share with you the habits of good steward, first of all. Number one, begin to develop the faithful habit of waiting. Now, when I use that word waiting, I'm kind of using it in a biblical sense, not as we use it in our vocabulary today. We think about waiting as I'm going to, I'm waiting for the bus to pick me up. I'm waiting for my wife to get home. You know, I'm waiting for this broadcast to get over. I'm waiting for church to get over. I'm waiting for the, it's not just idly doing nothing. We're told in Luke chapter 12, verse 42, that the faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over them. All right, it's a period of, of waiting for the master to come home, and a wise steward has been given ownership, temporary ownership, to rule over some things. The owner is gone, and so he's taken up this opportunity uh, to take care of the affairs of the owner. So he's waiting, right? Uh, he's watchful, he's preparing, he's anticipating that that owner is going to come back. Jesus kind of had the same theme in Matthew when he says, be ready, be ready, because in such an hour that you think not, the Son of Man will come in an hour when you don't expect it. So we got to stay ready, right? Because we got to be prepared. So as we're waiting, it's not idly doing nothing. Let me ask you a question. Who does God put in charge of his affairs? The answer is simple. The one who faithfully carries out the order is given by his father. So in Luke chapter 12, uh, starting down around verse 22, Jesus is telling his followers, don't be afraid. Uh, you know how it goes, right? You're familiar with this chapter. Uh, think about the birds in the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, but your heavenly father, he takes care of them. And now Jesus is not saying that you don't have to be responsible. He's instead saying, as you're waiting, be prepared. Don't worry, right? Be prepared. In this point, He goes on and he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, So the treasure is an eternal, dealing about eternal things. He says, don't worry about the earthly things. He says, as you wait for the eternal to take place, we don't worry, we work, we prepare. Now, knowing the disciples were having a hard time with this, he says, okay, you must use your time wisely without being a hermit, okay? A good steward moves ahead. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 35. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Now, isn't this an amazing analogy that Jesus gives us? He says, now the master, he's gone away. And as you're waiting for him to return, he's going to come home for a wedding feast. I know most commentators believe that, but what Jesus is talking about is himself as he goes up to heaven, and he is called the groom, right? And we are the bride of Christ. And he's talking about the fact that he's coming back soon. And so the disciples, as they're staying behind, they're ready for action. They're keeping their lamps burning. And he's using the analogy of a wedding. He says, 
a young man would propose to a young woman, and, uh, and, and if she would say yes, they would have a time of what we call engagement. Biblical times, it was called the betrothal. And uh, this is the time where they would get together and prepare, but they wouldn't live together quite yet. And this young man, he had to go out and he had to get things ready, okay? And uh, he had a dowry that he had to fulfill. And, and oftentimes you have to build a house. Sometimes you build a house right there uh, with the in-laws. Uh, sometimes you build a separate house. But there's a lot of things that he had to get uh, together and prepare for the wedding. And so they would get engaged, but they would not set the actual date for the wedding because they didn't know exactly how long it would take for the man to get things ready for the wedding. I didn't know how long it would take him to add that addition on the house or how long it would take him to get the money together that he needed to get together. And so they didn't set an exact date. And if you've ever built anything, uh, you know, you kind of have a rough idea of how long it's going to take, but you really don't know exactly how long it's going to take, right? And uh, we're in a building program right now, and and uh, we ordered some things for this building and, and ordered the building itself. And, and we found out that we don't know if it's going to come in between August and November. And that's kind of a long time frame, right? It's like you think you could be a little more precise on that. But it all depends on uh, if they can get the materials together and, and uh, what isn't backordered and is delayed because of labor and because of COVID and everything else. And, and so we don't have the exact moment, but we are preparing and getting things ready uh, for that to take place. And it kind of re- reminds me of the day uh, that I was married, July 1st, 1989. And uh, we had an afternoon wedding and we were married at Great Bridge Baptist Church right here in Chesapeake, Virginia. And uh, my wife is from this area. And, uh, and so it was such an exciting day. I was so nervous today that I got married, uh, but I, I didn't want to uh, get myself too worked up about it. And so, you know, we had a wedding. I think it was at, I think it was at one o'clock. And so uh, anyway, I said, well, you know, I think I can run home and, and I'll take a shower about 12 o'clock, shower, shave, put my tux on, and I could be in the church by quarter to one. And, uh, and I, I saw I needed about 30, 40 minutes to get ready. And I'd be ready to rock and roll. But, and I was talking to my wife, you know, and as tradition has it, on the day you get married, you're not supposed to see your bride, right? She uh, is, is not to show herself to you. You're not to, to, to be with her, communicate with her until you see her at the wedding ceremony. And so all morning, she says, well, I'm going to be at the church. She told me the night before, I'll be at the church getting ready. And I said, well, okay, well, what time are you going to church? She said, oh, we'll be there probably 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, well, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning? You're going to spend the whole morning getting ready? So, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to do my hair, got to do my nails, got to do my makeup. I got to get my dress, everything right, the flowers just right. We got to get everything just right. It's going to take us all morning to get ready, right? And I remember uh, just waiting and waiting. And, and uh, I think I went out and played golf or something that morning and, and came back and, uh, and got ready. In 30 minutes, I'm ready to go. And, and I show up at the church and, and uh, the pastor gave me some really good uh, pre-marriage advice there as the ceremony's about to begin. We're a little, we're in a little side hallway, and uh, it's just off to the side of the stage. And he says, "Well, well, listen, Calvin. He says, um, you know, you're getting ready to get married, and if you are getting cold feet right now, uh, I tell you what, if you go out that door right there, and I just tell everybody that you decided uh, against getting married, and and uh, we'll go ahead and eat the food and have the reception without you, okay? And, and he says, if you're if you're having cold feet, this is not the time because he says once you say I do, it's it's all over, right? Uh, you, there's no going back. And uh, and he he and drove on the point that you're going to be married for the rest of your life uh, till death do your part. And he says, well, here, here's my second uh, point of of advice. He says, once you say I do. It's a commitment for life. And so I remember standing there, and then we walked in, and all the wedding parties coming down the aisle, and, and uh, it's like dragging on and on and on and on. And then he closed the doors in the back of the sanctuary. 
And then there's this silence for a moment. And then they start playing the wedding march. And those back doors fly open. And I get that first glimpse of my bride. And I remember looking at her and saying, oh, my Lord, she's beautiful. And I remember the first thing that went through my mind is, my mind is I cannot believe that, that somebody that beautiful is going to marry me, right? As ugly as I am, but she's going to marry me. That is my bride. I was like blown away. And, uh, you know, now that I'm older, uh, I, I have been uh, through the, the giving away of my daughter. And, uh, and, and there's the whole experience of, of giving her away, and uh, she just celebrated, she and her husband just celebrated their first wedding anniversary, and, and uh, we're looking forward to having our first grandchild uh, in a couple months, and so it's an exciting time. But I, I, I said something at their wedding ceremony that I, that I probably shouldn't have said, but in a way, I don't really regret that I said it. And I, and I told uh, my future son-in-law at that time at the wedding ceremony, I said, now, James, I want you to know how I feel today. And how I feel about this whole endeavor. And I said to the whole congregation, I says, I feel like, I honestly feel like I am giving a beautiful Stradivarius that I have spent my whole life and her whole life preparing for this moment. I feel like I'm giving a Stradivarius to an orangutan. And everybody started laughing. But that's really how you feel, right? You, you feel like I'm giving this young, inexperienced man uh, and my daughter that I've spent 24 years uh, with, that I, I love with my, all my heart and my soul and my whole being. And so we had that time of waiting. You know, a good steward is faithful in preparing and waiting. It kind of reminds me of Isaiah 40, 31. Love this verse. Every time I get discouraged, I quote this verse to myself. But those who wait upon the Lord... Renew their strength. As you're waiting upon the Lord, you're being nourished by the Lord. It says they will rise up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weak. Times of preparation. A good steward uses those waiting moments to be prepared. You know, not prepared to be worried. I guess you could say it's like taking a trip. You prepare for a trip without knowing exactly how long it's going to take you, without knowing exactly where the delays are going to be, but you do the best to prepare for that trip. You know, I think I know where every, just about every Chick-fil-A is in the greater Hampton Roads area. Now, the reason is because I have a son that has these, these hankerings for spicy chicken sandwich. And, and uh, so I know where, I know every place where, uh, where the Lord's chicken is served, Chick-fil-A, right? You know, I also know uh, where just about every public restroom is uh, in, uh, from here to, from Chesapeake to Newport News. Uh, so when we travel uh, and we have an emergency where my son, and he doesn't give me much of a warning that he, he has to go to the bathroom, he gives me the sign because he's nonverbal, the bathroom sign, and, and I know that I've got to quickly find a bathroom. And so I, I know where they are. Now, I don't worry about these things because I, I kind of know where they are, and we just do the best we can, right? We do our parts, and then we trust the Lord to get the rest of it. Same is true with investments, right? As you steward something that belongs to somebody else, you're not worrying about it. You are preparing to have a return on that investment. Well, there's something else that we see about the second habit of those who are good stewards, they, they live in the wisdom, right? They, they understand 
that they're living on purpose with a determination. This is how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, this is how one should regard us as stewards of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward that they be found faithful. Now, I want you to join me tomorrow because we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a steward of the mysteries of God? How can I do this with wisdom? How can I faithfully live out God's wisdom in my life? And how can I be a good steward of something that's a mystery? And we're going to talk about that, okay, tomorrow. So join me tomorrow. And I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you. One of the ways that you can be a good steward is by doing three things every week. I think every believer should attend worship services at least once a week. And I really want to encourage you not just to listen online. Now, that's a good thing if you can't get out or you're sick or whatever and you can't make it. Uh, But don't make that a habit of worship online. Go worship in person, okay? Secondly... I want to encourage every person to be involved in a small group. Uh, that's where you get your fellowship. That's where you get your encouragement. And uh, that's where you have the, uh, the strength that you need to keep on going on. And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to be serving in your church. God's given you a talent. He wants you to use that talent within your church. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. We'll pick up part two on Habits of a Faithful Steward tomorrow. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.